You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, be with us um, this morning. Open our ears, open our hearts, um, uh, open us to you and to your word. Let it be living and active, um, stronger than a double-edged sword, and then by your grace, Lord, let it be a gentle mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, kind of finding our exit here last uh, uh, this week and next week, kind of wrap up this short series, which... Um, uh, been using Luke as a, a jump-off point. I wouldn't say it's been a study of Luke per se, but but certainly looking at some of the parables, especially in the middle part of Luke, some of the great parables. I mean, they're just almost, un, they are, they're unplumbable. You can't go to the depth of them and sort of pull it all out and say, I did it. It's like, I, I made the end of the internet. I got there. You know, I, I finished. I, I understand everything there is to know about the Holy Word of God, especially the parables of Christ in Luke. Um, but using uh, Luke as a jump-off point primarily to find the thread, the theme of uh, how does God do what God does. Um, if God is a God of, 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 uh, of, of mercy, um, as we looked at last week, we're going to finish the parable of the, the prodigal son or the running father or the two lost sons. We're going to look at the older son this week, and then we'll see how far we get. Um, uh, how does God do what he does if he... If he brings low to raise up, if he kills in order to quicken, if uh, if he works life from death, if he delivers those that are unable to move themselves, um, if he resurrects a corpse, if he uh, strengthens the weak, how does he do this? Um, looking at what is sometimes called, and it's not a primary metaphor. Um, people have asked me about that. The right hand or the left hand of God. And it's actually used in different ways. And so not to walk out of this short series and say, okay, the left hand of God, the right hand of God, this is common Christian knowledge. Everybody is going to... Not a lot of people wouldn't understand that. It's not... It's, Luther started it. He didn't use it as a, a primary way, um, a metaphor of speaking about God's work in this world. But it's a good one, I think. Um, so revisit that a little bit, and then we'll amplify the, uh, the the elder brother in Luke 15, and then turn my phone off, um, and then go to um, Luke 16. So if you could talk about God's proper work, what is God's proper work? Um, when we think about God's uh, proper work, the work that He is most about, the deep things of God, as it were. Good morning. Um, God saves. And who does he save? He saves those that are lost. Um, God delivers. And who does he deliver? He delivers those that are impotent. God uh, raises. And who does he raise? He raises the dead. God's proper work is to bring life to the dead and to strengthen the weak and to free the captive and to give sight to the blind, to clothe the naked. Um, uh, Literally, but then figuratively, where all of us are. That's his proper work. His alien work. The work of his left hand is one way to describe this, is how he begins to do that, um, to bring somebody to their death before he raises them to new life. Um, That's a hard word, because that's where it starts to look really odd. 
where we start to draw that out into actual sort of application, so to speak, in, in, in this world. And I'm not quick to go there. Just quick aside, and I was going to go here. I'm not quick to, dis- to discern in real time. This is what God is doing here. You know, you visit somebody in the hospital, or you're, you know, on the fresh part of a wreck, or um, there's the, the, the slip, whatever the slip is that gives you the bad news, and to quickly say, well, God is doing X. I'm just not so quick to point that out. The left hand of God is, is a diff- it's, it's, we, 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 we're faithed to see the left hand of God. Um, we're brought to our senses to see the work of God's left hand, his way of bringing down, as Samuel would say, in order to raise up. So I just want to sort of be clear and slow in that, that I'm not saying there's any sort of formulaic movement here as we begin to try to discern or distinguish God's works in this world, how he does what he does. God raises and delivers and quickens and saves and redeems and frees and rejoices. Uh, the steps before there, as he is at work in, in, in a fallen and fractured and broken world, as Paul would say thunderously, you know, in Romans 8, the Himalayas in some ways, that God works all things for the good. Of those, you know, that, that in some ways overused, but, but it's, it's important to sort of reckon with that. That all things, including all the bad things, where God seems like he's not, where God seems like he's absent, where God seems most foreign or silent. Um, exhibit A, the cross. <laughs> you know, He is dead. <laughs> he is defeated. He is the, the quintessential example of defeat. Um, and yet, or but God, uh, in, 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 in several languages, most famously Ephesians 2, um, but God, who is rich in mercy, um, delivers and saves and quickens and resurrects. So the left hand and the right hand of God, the, uh, the alien works of God, where he's at work in actively sometimes, um, or certainly in his, uh, uh, at work in his broken and fallen and fractured creation in order to bring about his proper work the work of life and restoration and health and and in a sense that all things are well, that we are no longer at war with God. And that is shalom. That is peace. When we talk about peace, peace of the Lord be always with you. Shalom of God. It's, uh, it is that we're not fighting each other, but mostly we're not doing battle with God anymore. We're no longer his enemies. Um, that is shalom. And that is a good thing. And that is the proper work of God. And that is going to happen. We are promised. And that is certain and sure. So that's kind of the thread, the beginning of all this. And then all these, that's the thread of this series. And all these these, uh, these stories, these parables, and some of the sayings in Luke are uh, what we're using to get there. But, you know, I'll stop there because we're, we're wrapping up. Some of y'all have been here most of the week. Some of y'all, I think it's the first time you've been here. Feedback or thoughts or questions, things you've been mulling over. There's been a little bit of email traffic and some some good questions after class. Anybody want to sort of clarify anything before we launch into today? Let's move on. Um, Revisit one other theme. Um, Again, God does his work. How does he do that? He does it in a speaking way where he calls into existence the things that are not going to be a phrase that we look at coming from Romans 4. Um, 
that God who raises the dead and calls into existence the things that are not. That God really is about new. He's not about recycling the old. He's not an improver. He really makes things new. Some old Far Side cartoon, I think, captured this where, you know, or maybe it was some, anyway, some cartoon where God and somebody else, or I can do that, you know, create this, whatever, and it's like, let's just, okay, let's just do something easy. Let's just do snakes, you know, the whole sort of rub your hands together and do Play-Doh and Okay, and so whoever the junior god gets up and he starts to pick up the mud, he's like, ah, you got to make your own dirt. And he's like, oh. <laughs> you know, really new to bring into existence the things that are not. Like, ex nihilo is the fancy sort of you know Latin phrase where theologians will talk about how God creates from nothing. Ex nihilo, nihilism. Um, nil, you go nil in, in cards or something else like that. You're talking, you're talking from zero. It's actually kind of a hard thing to get your get our minds around. What is actually nothing? I mean, there is nothing, like not even matter or some sort of carbon thing to, to sort of begin with. We're not even talking about that. I mean, from nothing. God creates from that. It is formless and void, an absolute vacuum, zero, nil, ex nihilo. God speaks and calls into being the things that they're not. God works with nothing, hence the title of the class. Example of that, um, what we sometimes call law and gospel, um, where it's the it's not merely a matter of, of just being good grammarians and recognizing that the law um, are imperatives. Um, run, stop, duck, jump, climb, you know, law. Let me tell you what to do. Or gospel, which are descriptives of uh, uh, you are loved, you're okay safe. Um, you can go a long way doing that, but that's not all it is. We could take what's called the Shema, you know, out of Deuteronomy, which Jesus picks up when he gives in two-thirds of the summary of the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, that comes out of Deuteronomy 6. Uh, it could be heard as absolute law. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because you're not, you miserable, weak offender. Get it right or else. And I'm going to deliver the else. Absolute law. Because it's telling us, here's the plumb line. Plumb line. Here's the, here's the other one. Plumb line, and what would this be? The square. Um, uh, here's the plumb line, and you fall short every single time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. You ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Our throats are open graves, and it is absolute, unadulterated, 150 proof law. Tells me where I'm not. Tells me who God is. And a great chasm has been fixed between the two. It's going to be in Luke 16. Or... Because that's a summary of the law. That is not a summary of the gospel. That's not a summary of the good news, as Cramner put it in our prayer book. But what if we hear this, where it says, Hear, O Israel. And now it's an invitation for those of us who already are broken and drawn out on the rack of life. And we hear the Lord God speaking now in a personal address. We hear this where it's the invitation of the Word of God, which is powerful and living and active, and it brings into being what? The things that are not. The Word of God calls into existence what? The things that are not. And where there was not belief, 
it's going to bring into existence belief. Here, it hits your ear and suddenly you begin to hear. It's as if the deaf begin to hear and the blind begin to see and the mute begin to sing. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O you people of mine who have struggled against me. That's what Israel means. The Lord, your God. Hear that personal word? Second person singular. The Lord, your God. The Lord is one. And now it's invitation. And it's pure grace upon grace upon grace. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And you can think, oh Lord, let it be, because that's not where I am now. And he's like, that's right, child. It's not now, but it will be. It will be. Remember those circles that I talked about? We're in the overlap of the ages. And in the world to come, where there is shalom, it's a description of the way things are and always shall be. The Lord your God. I shall be your God and you will be my child and there will be no enmity or division and you shall be well. And so it's all about the effect. The word distinguished. Is it law? Imperative? Command? Telling me what I'm not? The killing function of God. The alien work of God through his word to bring us to our awareness of who we are and who he is and the great chasm which is fixed between the two or the word of the gospel, where God says, and this is what I've done about that situation. Um, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and I I am the one who will do it. To pull over Isaiah. Um, so that's all in here, because we're now going to go into the elder brother and see what hope there might be for some of us who, who resonate a little bit more with the elder brother than uh, than with the prodigal son. But but comments there. I want to give some time for. I haven't had a, I haven't left a lot of time for uh, conversation the last few weeks, and so I want to leave some interaction if you want. Look at it. I think it's six four Deuteronomy six four. Great word. The Shema. Um, Hear, O Israel. Um, we could say it's the proto gospel, the work, um, uh, an early word of a. Uh, of, uh, of the good news, not the old. Remember, it's not recycled. It's actually new, where it's now a new ear, which opens a new heart, which places a new word on a new tongue. And it's not just sort of recycled from, you know, let me rub some dirt together and make a new tongue. No, it's absolutely 100% from nothing. And that's going to be us. That is us. Um, thoughts? And let's go through the uh, parable of the, the prodigal son again. Um, look at this this uh, sculpture, which I just really was kind of taken with, and I wanted to go back to it. Charlie Maxey, some English artist right now. I don't know anything about him, but um, related to Holy Trinity Bompton a little bit, at least. That's the Alpha Course or the Alpha Church with, uh, what's his name, Nicky Gumbel. Um, this was out there at least for a while. I don't know if it's still there or not. Um, but just the sense we, we contrasted last week, the, uh, the, the, the Balanchine, I'm looking to you, Catherine, to help me here, um, the play, 1929 play, which uh, was moving and it had some real affection. If you were here last week, you remember where the father you know, lifted the son and carried him away tenderly, but only after the son sufficiently showed uh, enough sorrow and regret and repentance. And he, and he literally crawled over to the father uh, 
uh, did what was in him. Um, you know, gave my last little bit of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 of sorrow and contrition. I made the first step to show that, Lord, I'm really, 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 really sorry. Um, I'm not going to do this again. And that's not the picture that, that, the, 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 that Luke paints of the father who, scanning the horizon, sees his son from afar and runs out to meet him and then collapses onto his son and covers him with kisses. Big difference between what was shown, I think, in, the, in, a, in, a, in a right-handed way in the ballet uh, and what this, the pathos, the feeling, the, uh, the suffering, the receptivity, it's all buried in that word pathos, the pathos which is present in this, um, in this sculpture where there really is, if the Lord delivers the, uh, the, the powerless, the impotent, the ones that are able to not do anything left, this is a great picture. I mean, look at the limp arm, you know, captured in stone. This is where artists who are, who are really artists are just amazing. I mean, how do you make stone seem so flaccid? But somehow I see that and I just see the arms just almost like it's death. And that's what Capon called this parable is just a festival of death uh, when the running father comes out and says, this son of yours who was dead is alive again, who was lost and is now found. Um, of course, Newton picked up. So if we have this as the picture of the proper work of God, what do we do with the elder son? Um, Mr. Ne'er-do-wrong, um, Mr. Respectable, who uh, who never strayed. And that's, that's a lot of our stories, um, certainly more of my story than not. What do we do about that? You know, is, is this picture of grace sort of a different story for us, or is there something else? Uh, so we want to look at the part of the elder son, this, this portrait of being repented by the left hand of God. Um, is, there, is there a possibility of reading that. Now, as I get into it, I want to be clear, the parable doesn't lead us to this. Um, the parable certainly leaves us off tonic, so to speak, to use a musical term, and it just sort of plops, mic drop, sort of goes away, and you're not, there's no sense that the elder brother ever, you know, makes it, ever comes back into the fold. This is all conjecture. This is just what if, knowing the heart of God, um, as the father went out to meet the elder son, just like he went out to meet the younger son. Well, not quite just like the younger son. He ran out to meet him. The older, to the elder son, he went out. But the father did leave the house, leave the party, and went out and met the older son, just like he did the other. So let's read it, and then we'll sort of unpack it a little bit. Just picking up Luke 15 like we did last week. Um, backing up just a little, um, starting at verse 22, if you're looking along. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet. So a quick word about those. Um, the robe uh, would be the sign of, this is to the younger son, um, of restoration. Um, that would say that, that uh, those who wore the robe had the, the right of inheritance, um, the right of the father, the rights of the father. Uh, put a ring on his hand. Um, that's like giving him the credit card again. Remember, this is the younger son who went and squandered all of the father's life, his bios, um, uh, with, uh, in loose living in Las Vegas, usually where it is. Um, put a ring on his hand because then, you know, that's, he could rub the ring. It'd be a signet ring where in wax he could say, yep, I, I purchased, you know, X, um, a bunch of olive oil, I guess, is what they were buying back then. Who knows? Um, 
Uh, and so I gave him the credit card again. Imagine that in the restorative work of the father uh, to the repentant son, to the son who was being repented by the left hand of the father, uh, who was being faithed, who was being believed, who was having the thing that was not now being brought forth into existence. Uh, that restoration was so full, so unqualified, so unconditioned. This isn't parenting tips, by the way. I wouldn't recommend this necessarily. Um, it's not a formula. But he says, bring a robe. Restore the identity as a son. Bring a ring. Give him purchasing power again. And then bring uh, shoes. Uh, the distinguishing mark, not a slave, but a member of the, uh, the family in the house. Because remember Rembrandt's painting where there was no shoes. And then it says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And I think it's worth seeing stopping to say this is, a remember, the festival of death. First, the father dies, um, commits suicide, as it were, by saying, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you ask, and I'll kill myself by splitting my inheritance, even when I'm alive. The younger son, you get the cash. Older son, you get the farm. Uh, and then the younger son goes out, and then he dies, where he spends himself. Uh, wastes his bios, wastes his father's bios, his father's life uh, in, the, in the faraway land. And now we've got the third thing that dies. We've got the calf. Um, probably something like, behold, the Lamb of God, the calf of God, the sacrifice of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Towards what end? Towards restoration. Towards a heavenly feast, the banquet that where there is such superfluidity of, uh, of food and wine and drink and happiness and joy that it's just prodigious. That's what the word prodigal comes from. It actually means wasteful. And the prodigious love and, and, uh, uh, and generosity of the Father. Bring the fattened calf. Bring Christ himself as he dies so that we can enjoy the party. Because without the calf, there is no party. Without the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there is no great and heavenly banquet where now the one who was the enemy of God has been brought near and is shalom with the Father, where we now enjoy, enjoy the, the prodigious generosity and grace of God in, in the picture of the heavenly banquet where it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And we'll look at Dives in just a minute, the rich man. So bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate on and on and on and on and on. The eternal now, pregnant in this moment of, uh, of this party. But the elder son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant as if he didn't know and he said to him your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound but he was angry the older brother was angry and he refused to go in i will not dignify that prodigious wastefulness i will not go in and his father came out so to the son's obstinacy, I won't dignify that kind of um, of, uh, of scandal. We're not going to get there, I can tell you, with our time. But that's what's in Luke 16, this idea of a stumbling block, the scandalon 
uh, it would be better for you, Jesus says in Luke 16, if you, uh, for those that would cause a scandal on, um, that those who would cause one of these little ones to stumble, that a millstone was thrown around their neck and they were thrown into the sea, because that's only a physical death. It would be better for you, for those people, uh, not to cause, to have, not to have that scandal on, the stumbling block caused. And, and it's the same thing, the scandal on, of I can't believe that your left hand would do things like this. What are you doing? This is an alien, unbelievable, foolish work. Who in their right mind does this? And the older brother has a point. But his father comes out and he entreated him. And he answered, look, these many years, uh, the younger son's still talking, uh, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Not my brother, but when this son of yours uh, uh, came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And so now we've got Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world right back into the, uh, to the narrative. Remember, what happened? The father died way back in verse 11. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll die. Here's the money. Here's the farm. It's as if the father goes out to the younger, to the older brother and says, look, you, you moron, <laughs> I've been dead for 20 verses. You know, you, you forget. You're the only one who's alive here. We're all dead and having a great time because God quickens uh, the dead and rejoices over sinners who repent, sinners who are repented, sinners who come to their senses and who can now see the way things actually are. And you're the only one who can't do it, older son. He's going around with the older son is angry because he remains this, he's tenaciously holding on to his life. I tell you, those that would save their life must lose it. And those that lose their life, then they will find it. Um, for what gain is it if you, if you, if you, if you keep the world, um, uh, but you lose your life? Um, paraphrase. This is the word to the older son. And then he said to him, the father. This is a word both, like I said, with the Shema, the, the Deuteronomy 6, where it depends on how you hear it. Is this a word of judgment and law? It is, absolutely, for the older son, um, telling him where the great chasm is. But it's also the possibility of the word from the left hand of God who begins to resurrect the son, should the father will it, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. So the, 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 the older brother wants to distance himself. That son of yours. <laughs> it's like Adam saying, that woman that you gave me. Um, that son of yours. Um, and now the father says, uh, you, you're mine. Son, little one, technon. It's a term of endearment. Son, you were always with me. You've not left. Now I died. Your brother died. We even killed the calf. Christ is right here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so that we could enjoy the feast of God. But you won't die. You've not left. I've not gone anywhere. You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's your calf. You could have had this every day since verse 11. If you wanted it, it's your stuff. Uh, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. 
he was lost, and, and now he's found. So, where do we go with that? Um, I almost didn't want to do this, but I'm going to. Um, you two. So there it is. Um, you know, they, in the 90s, they had this great creative burst right around Octung Baby and then going into the, what a lot of people thought was just an awful album, Pop, but I really like it. Um, he started, there you go, um, he started to imagine, Bono, the writer, started to imagine what would Grace for the Graceless look like. Um, and he actually brought in three characters, Judas, um, Till the End of the World, and they're still playing that in their concerts. They kind of figured out that that's a really good live song. What would Grace look like for Judas? And then even has Herod. It's the only song I know of. It's really the only place in art, the only place I know where somebody's imagined what would it look like if Herod. This is the one who was a he was a notorious man, um, but it was really his wife Herodias who was the she was. Whew, you, be careful. Um, uh, remember, she wanted all the power. John the Baptist comes in. Um, uh, she gets her daughter, his stepdaughter, to dance for Salome. Uh, he gets taken by her dancing. We're not really sure. Well, we do know what that means. Um, <laughs> this is really good. What do you want? And I'll give it to you. Uh, she goes over to her mom. What should I tell him? She's like, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, crap. I made that promise. i got to follow through with it. That's how John the Baptist meets his end. What would grace look like, even for Herod? you got Judas, responsible for the death of Jesus. You have Herod, responsible for the death of John the Baptist. That's another song. We're not talking about that. But what would it look like to have grace for the brothers? The younger brother, certainly. That's an easy read because this, the, the parable leads right to it. Um, what would it look like for the word here? You're always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What if... Just like the word in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do you hear that as severity, where it's the alien work of God which needs to crush the, 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 the stony heart into pieces so that he can call into existence the thing that was not, a new heart and a heart of flesh upon which is written the very name of God? Um, what if this was that word of grace, even for the older brother? And so they wrote a song called The First Time. It's a great song. I'm not going to play it. But here's, it's a process of repentance. I'm trying to wrap up the series where I'm trying to, to cast us forward. Where when we hear the word repent mentioned in the scriptures, um, that we don't think, okay, that's my job. That's the word where, the, where he's telling me, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's where I, like in the ballet, I've got to crawl over to God and say I'm really, 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 really sorry and we got to figure out how many reallys or how to say really or whatever else to sort of make convince ourselves and convince the father that I'm serious this time um, I want to say that is wrong different screen something new that uh, repent me is the cry be repented um, uh, when we say repent and believe in the gospel mark 115 we can hear it with those new ears and say, be repented and be faithed. Pure gift. Believe in the gospel, the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So he has this song called The First Time, where the obstinance of the younger brother or the obstinance of the older brother 
these stony hearts are met with the living and active and powerful word of God and something happened and he placed it in a Trinitarian way. Sort of in the reverse order of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the lover, the uh, Jesus Christ, our brother, and then the Father. And it starts off in the minor key and it moves to the major. It's a really great, pretty little song. Um, worth listening to called The First Time. Um, but here's the words. I have a lover, a lover like no other. She got soul, 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 sweet soul. And she teach me how to sing. Shows me colors when there's none to see. Gives me hope when I can't believe. That for the first time, I feel loved. The process of being repented, where the stony heart begins to break. And then I have a brother starting to see things as they actually are, to come to our senses and believe in the love of God. And I have a brother, Christ himself. When I'm a brother in need, I spend my whole time running, and he spends his running after me. When I feel myself going down, I just call and he comes around. But for the first time, I feel loved. Now it brings it right into Luke 15. My father is a rich man. This could be the younger. It's certainly the younger. It could be the older. My father is a rich man. He wears a rich man's cloak. Gave me the keys to his kingdom coming. Gave me a cup of gold. He said, I have many mansions. and There are many rooms to see. But I one of the brothers. But I left by the back door and I threw away the key. And then the song goes off and it just repeats that line. And I threw away the key and I threw away the key. And like this thread that I've been thumping, where you can hear that as a song of lament and remorse, law of loss, of death, of, of weakness, of, oh my God, why did I do that? You know, behold, I am the man. You know, David's reckoning with himself through the prophet Nathan, I threw away the key, but then begins to shift with the guitar and everything, just the music begin to turn around and it begins that movement to the major key where there's hope that breaks through and you start to realize and he starts to turn and I threw away the key and I threw away the key and I threw away the key, the key which held me in my prison, the key that held me back in bondage. I threw away the key to my father's house and he came out and he gave me another one. And he came out and he ran to me as the younger brother. He came out to me the second time as the older and says, all I've ever had is yours, my son, my child. It was right that we celebrated for this son of this brother of yours, not this other one, your brother who was lost is found, who was dead and is alive. And it goes on and it starts to then light up a little bit. And for the first time, and for the first time, and for the first time, I feel loved. Could be the older brother. What if, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. There's just imagining in this song. There's grace, even for the older brother. So, um, before we shift over, you know, I, well, the prodigal. Um, the prodigal uh, father, it's Tim Keller's word, he wrote a great book on it. Um, we typically call it the prodigal son because the son goes out and he wastes you know, the father's uh, cash. Um, but uh, it could be called the prodigal father because the father just wastes, lavishes, just, just a superfluous overflowing of love and grace on both of his sons. Um, so let me hit pause with this little picture here and then we'll uh, we'll shift gears quickly and see what we can do. Any comments or thoughts?
We may not. I don't know what we're going to do. Let's just play with art then, because we're almost done. Um, yeah, I could do this. Um, let's do the other one. Um, this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and from Luke 16, which we're going to do, but, but uh, maybe we'll do this next week. We'll find a different way. Um, great painting is going from the, the prodigal love of God with the party and killing the fattened calf and some other things here. Um, we'll just look at this and kind of think about the uh, the foretaste of the kingdom of heaven and the banquet, but which is here. Here's Lazarus. You remember a man with sores where even the dogs came and licked his wounds. Um, and he died, but then likewise, and here you see the the uh, the rich man. Dives is what that is in Latin. So sometimes you hear this called, you know, Dives and Lazarus. This is not Lazarus who was raised from the dead. It's a different Lazarus um, in this parable from from Luke 16. But where he's, you know, just so he looks like he's asleep. He's just got all this activity, um, and even the other painting shows even more. Just this plates of food just piled on top of each other where he just can't even you know put it all in his mouth where all these people are all around him just for that uh, funny little monkey who comes back in the uh, the second one too I just thought that was kind of fun you see it's the same artist and so he kept going out there's probably something to that but we have all this this parable of judgment and grace a couple of things let's just kind of think about what we just did with uh, the song the first time and also thinking about the older brother and the possibility of grace here. Right here in the middle, right on the axis, what do we see? But something like a cross. We have a hill outside the city, um, very similar to this one, hill outside the city. Um, uh, we have an animal slain, you know, lamb of God, fattened calf, rabbit, other animals, and then the peacock, which is a long symbol of, a, of Christ or some had it as the omniscience of God when the peacock's feathers would go out and look like eyes. This is kind of a, a recurring symbol in Christian art. Flannery O'Connor, we brought her in a lot because she's a great left-handed writer. Let's coin a phrase. Uh, she had pulled peacocks into her stories all the time. Uh, and I think all that's here intentionally, where there's, or at least, let me read into it and, and say I think there's, there's a possibility here of thinking about Lazarus and Dives, the rich man, uh, where Lazarus will receive his reward in heaven and the rich man will go without. And there's a great chasm between the two and they can never go. And yet, we have the strong sense of death right here in the intersection of all this activity with all that's dying overneath the omniscience of God, um, the, uh, the, the sense of the resurrection where the peacock would come, and you're like, whoa, that's something I never even imagined. I mean, suddenly that glory and that splendor when it would spread its tail. It just looked like a bird. That's, that's not just a bird. That's something completely different. That's kind of the symbolism of the peacock. Where all this kind of brings into mind um, the older brother and the, the great... Uh, and that was Capon, who said, look, you're the only one who's alive here. We're all dead and having a great time that this party would then be the foretaste of the great, um, the, the supper of the lamb, um, that sense in a, of a, uh, which is a, a strong theme um, coming from the Old Testament and then parts of Revelation of, of being able to, uh, to eat and be full. 
and never go hungry and having uh, wine and food and just absolute joy in the fellowship of the meal. Um, so we didn't really deal with the parable per se, but it's a nice picture to kind of back up Luke 15 as well. It's probably a good exit. Um, minute or two, thoughts? Picture by um, Bassano, I think is his name. I didn't. I don't know this artist. Some of y'all might. Um, from Venice, right at the turn of the 17th century. Um, but I like this painting. The Supper of the Lamb. On the hill outside of the city. Golgotha, obviously. Uh, place of redemption. Judgment and grace. Meets there, in the center of the painting. Well, let's pray. Lord, take all this um, and tie up these uh, different threads, I pray, um, and let it be used to your your good work, your proper work, your work of our um, redemption and salvation and restoration to joy. Um, Let it be so, for Christ's sake. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.